Hello, I'm Dean. And I'm Jen. And I'm Eric. And together we're RCSD Pod PD. Okay, we would like to uh, begin by respectfully acknowledging that we are on Treaty 4 territory, traditional lands of the Nehawak, Nakaway, Nakoda, and homeland of the Métis, Lakota, and Dakota. Hey, welcome everyone. We are very excited to welcome our guest today. Some of you may know this individual or perhaps taken a class or two with him while at the University of Regina. Today I have the privilege to introduce you to Dr. Alec Kuros. Alec specializes in digital learning and digital citizenship. He is quite active on Twitter and many other social media platforms and often advocates for the positive aspects of digital learning in our 21st century classrooms. I personally have had the pleasure of uh, taking some classes with Alec and teaching a few of his children. Um, mm -hmm. He is always open to sharing his ideas and encouraging teachers um, every um, encouraging teachers to take every opportunity to enhance student learning experiences by engaging in digital learning. So welcome, Alec. We really look forward to chatting with you today. Thanks for um, that great so introduction, Jen. Thank you. Yeah, so um, as you're aware, uh, Regina Catholic Schools has the Connected Educator Program um, and we're all we all work together um, to provide our students with the best opportunities and experiences to enhance their classroom learning. Um, this might have been through having them use different digital tools, working collaboratively with um, students at different schools or allowing them to utilize the World Wide Web to find new information to enhance their learning. So what have you experienced in this regard that you feel is something all teachers should be doing to enhance student learning in the classrooms? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> I mean, I have a whole career around that. Um, you know, you know, where where do you start? Um, you know, I really appreciated the Connected Education Educator Program. Um, you know, my uh, my son, uh, my oldest son, was able to be in your class, and and uh, you know, it was it was really great to be able to have access to one to one computing for one. Um, which I think was such a great uh, deal. Uh, of course, going into the next classroom or into the next year and not having that same thing, it, it becomes a bit difficult. <laughs> you, you really sort of depend on that. But, you know, in an ideal world, um, having, you know, that sort of access to technology and devices would be a must. And then, um, you know, with that, um, having the pedagogical and technical knowledge to be able to, um, you know, to to use the technology and then to not use the technology and to go back and forth, so that um, I think Chris Lehman uses the phrase that technology should be like oxygen. You know, it's just sort of in the air. It, it's not just like let's tickle the technology now and we'll do something that's mm -hmm. technology related, but it's just that sort of that ebb and flow of technology uh, as it you know as you you pull out textbooks or manipulatives or anything else in the classroom or, you know, or do something, you know, without any aids at all. So, so I think, you know, I could, I could speak about, you know, how, how, you know, the connected idea from the connected initiative is so important, um, you know, whether it's social media or whether it's just developing uh, personal learning networks or personal uh, learning community or professional learning communities uh, in schools and, and, you know, sharing practice and that sort of thing. 
but no, just going back to the idea of you know, being savvy with technology, having the right resources, being able to um, feel like technology isn't an extra. Like I think much of my much of my career has been trying to move out of um, technology as an extra, like, like going to computer class. Um, and just really seeing that it needs to be integrated into every aspect of our our, our teaching and, and teaching learning. But that kind of helps. <laughs> I don't know if I'm on the right track. No, actually, that goes really well with the, the next question because there's there are some teachers that might be stuck in you know in what they know and they don't want to you know take a risk, so to speak, or some teachers may feel that. You know, even we're looking at the SASC uh, curriculum uh, for digital citizenship, which I know you did a lot of work on, you know, it should be a K to 12, but some teachers might argue that, well, you don't want to start them too young because they're not ready yet and that type of thing. So um, what are there some, you know, uh, ideas or suggestions you might have to encourage uh, teachers to take the plunge and dive into some of these technology learning initiatives? Well, maybe I'll, I'll um, start off with your your comment that you know some some may see that technology or is uh, is too early for students, um, and, or or that that students are too young to take it up. We already know that you know the the vast majority of our students um, do have some access to technology. They're using it. Um, it's pretty common for kids at the age of nine to have cell phones or have access to technology. They're reading, you know, they're using iPads as soon as they can, you know, drag a finger across a screen. So it's, so it's very, very really. So I, I don't think there's a, uh, you know, there's certainly screen time limits that we have to think about. Um, we have to think about the type of technology that young kids are um, spending time on and, uh, you know, how active these things are and, you know, um, there's a big difference between Raz kids and Roblox, right? So there's a, you know, having a balance between those two. My my kid, my uh, my kids will spend all day on Roblox if I let them, but that's not going to. I mean, it'll, it'll provide them with some, um, you know, some skills, but you know, something more more pointed or directed like a Raz kids or or something that's, um, you know, directly focuses on learning objectives. It's going to be much more important. Um, but but I think you know there, there's lots of ways to 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 start. Um, fortunately, um, you know, if technology in the classroom isn't coding HTML anymore. It's not doing the more difficult things. There are so many accessible apps. Um, I think probably the most powerful um, you know apps that you can use are formative assessment tools. Um, like you know, I think and I think most have you know discovered Kahoot or Menti. Or formative, or you know, some of those tools, but you know, the power behind those, besides getting a sense of you know where students are at, you know, rather than you know guessing where students are at all the time and waiting for that summative assessment, um, is 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 also how it informs your own teaching, like whether you're you know hitting a mark or not. Like we, we sort of do that anecdotally. Uh, um, I remember the undergraduate class I used to teach. Um, I, I taught a morning section and a in a in a afternoon section of the same exact class, and I could tell, like, just from the morning, just having that, just understanding that you know that joke failed or that that you know that people didn't quite get that, and so this, the afternoon class always got a much better 
um, much better uh, version of the class. And I could tell I had more energy. I felt just different about everything. And what, you know, it, but most teachers, especially elementary teachers, aren't teaching the same class over and they're not able to access that feedback so quickly. So they wait a year and they might make some of the same mistakes. With formative assessment, you get, um, and I mean mistakes by, you know, not necessarily mistakes, but, you know, some, something that you can slightly improve. Like we're always improving our, uh, the way that we do instruction. Um, but, you know, that feedback, you know, students didn't quite get it this way. So what if I explain it this way? You can get it back right away. Or, you know, when something, you know, covers a, a unit or a certain objectives, you can get that feedback right away. Um, and, and I, again, ultimately it informs your instructional decisions from that point on. So I think that's such a huge part of it. So I, I think that's the place to start, you know, um, you know, that, that type of, those types of tools. And I think those are the most easy, accessible, um, they're the most direct to the learning objectives. Um, when we get into, you know, many of the other tools, they become such much more constructivist in, in nature that um, they're, they're less pointed. They're, they're much, uh, much, much of what you do in the classroom is, is much more creative. And, and that takes a while to sort of get into that groove um, versus using some of the tools that are much more directly associated with um, instruction assessment uh, or, uh, uh, or, or instruction assessment or, you know, preparation, for instance. Yeah. So that's kind of like, that's kind of like moving in a SAMR model, right? Like you're getting yeah. your foot in there, some substitution, but then once you get good at things and using it more comfortably, you can try the redefinition. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just that continuum, but, you know, just getting, just feeling that you've, you've had a lesson where the technology didn't die on you. You know, I, I always experience those teachers that, feel that technology is against them. Like, you know, if you give technology to me, it's going to, you know, it always fails for me. Uh, and so that attitude sort of um, calcifies on their personality and it becomes, um, you know, uh, they just, you know, and, and I get that, you know, after so many failures with the technology that, you know, the, the tech didn't work, the internet went down, like everything seems to go wrong, that it's, it's hard to come back to it and feel confident but you have to have those early successes uh, and you have to have a, a number of consecutive successes before you feel that you can really take it to the next level. Yeah, I kind of like, I've experienced kind of what you experienced since I taught prep this year. So I had the opportunity to teach seven eighths, which with the same subject, yeah. um, so it gave me the opportunity to teach some of like the exact same lessons to different groups. And I totally get what you say when like it's it's not only what I do, but I was all every time I taught it for the first time, I would automatically reflect on what I did. And then yeah. I don't know if it was just me thinking this, but out of when I taught it the second time, I just thought it was that maybe that much better or that much. Yeah. Um, you just kind of figured out the little tweaks. But I know for me this year, um, like I've used a, a variety of those formative assessment tools. So Microsoft Forms was a big one for me when it came to the seven eights. Um, and I can tell you it helped me immensely this year um, just being in different classrooms because this was my first year teaching prep. Um, my, all my previous years have been classroom teacher. So it really helped me when I'm teaching a variety of kids like over 100 and over 100 kids um, to allow me to quickly assess how 
well, maybe not how I delivered it, but how well they understood it. Um, yeah. So I can tell from from experience that that those formative assessment tools are just like a lifesaver when it comes to. And, and what you're describing goes hand in hand. Like it's not just how they're assessing, but how you know. Obviously, it goes back to how well you you delivered it, or exactly, or yeah, right. And otherwise, we're left guessing. Like we, you know, we have a hunch that this kid over here didn't quite get it. We don't know to what extent unless we're doing something like that, and we don't want to wait till you know they they fail a test or a unit or or, or whatever that might be. We exactly. um, we want to know quickly so that um, you know it, it allows us to again change our instructional methods, but also to create an intervention, like an instructional intervention that you know this person, um, you know this student of mine doesn't quite get this concept, so I need to do something because they're not going to understand the next three concepts that I speak speak about so um so so it allows for that intervention and so i think it's very powerful that we can have that immediate feedback very quickly from students that's personalized um and so that for, for me that's that that should be um the big you know for those who are really interested in instructional success i think this is this is where you start honestly um there's there's lots of other places where we can go with technology but this is a great place to start and it helps and build those relationships as well. Sorry. Oh, yeah. The important thing, I think, too, is that a lot of teachers are saying, well, then it's one more thing I have to learn. It's one more um, PD I have to do in order to learn and use this software. But it's, yeah, long-term work maybe to learn and become familiar with the software for, like, even longer-term goals because right. you're getting immediate um, feedback as opposed to, you know, creating these paper um, exit slips and kids all writing them out and then you having to go through them. Yeah. Get, using some of these tools is giving you a much more immediate and therefore um, a better use of your time as a teacher as well, I think. But also, oh, at yeah. Alex's point, then that's where the PL the PLN comes in, right? Create your PLN and then it's not such a learning curve because you have a community to help you out. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's, that's totally true. Like, the time saving, I think that's sometimes the draw. Like, um, I'm doing all this stuff on paper, assessing it manually. I, I have no way of doing an aggregate set of data, you know, very quickly, um, you know, just to get a sense, uh, overall sense of classroom climate. But I, but I think that, you know, for some teachers, for a lot of teachers, actually, um, you know, showing how you can actually use technology to save time and do your job better that's that's the PD. Like, sure, it's going to take an investment up front, but down the road, it's going to save you a lot of time, and you're going to be a better teacher, and you know, ultimately, your students are going to be better off. Absolutely. All right, so Alec, we it is our understanding that you've done some work with uh, uh, on the Saskatchewan Digital Citizenship Continuum. So, um, based on that, do you believe that teachers? are like from just from what you've seen uh, i guess teaching a lot of teachers um do you believe that teachers are adequately teaching their students using this continuum and are there any areas that you believe we could grow in this area of actually delivering this um i guess curriculum yeah um yeah i i think you know um whatever i say next isn't blaming teachers it's it's uh like I think we all have to grow when it comes. The technology is moving so so quickly. So um, you know, all of us have to keep up with what's going on around us. Um, you know, you know, thinking about technologies like TikTok, 
for instance. Um, you know, th these come and go so quickly, uh, but they greatly impact our students' lives. Um, we know that there's there's tons of issues with um, you know, with not not so much cyber safety stuff that we used to talk about, but on like online conduct. Um, you know the uh, you know character and development. A lot of things that you do within the RS, RS, R, RCSD. Um, you know, focus. You have sort of a, a faith based um, approach to digital citizenship, which I think is which I think is great. But you know, so we we can only do so much, but I guess what what I think our systems don't do well. So again, not blaming teachers, our systems in general don't have a great way of thinking, okay, what do we really need in grade one? What do all kids need to know of, uh, in grade one? And how do we actually, you know, uh, develop this better, I guess? And, you know, how do we support this? How do we support teachers understanding that students need to know this? Um, by grade three and four, kids are online. Like they're, they're absolutely online. So um, they're already making mistakes online. And <laughs> they're, you know, there's there's bullying and harassment, and and then they're 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 seeing uh, they're seeing all sorts of stuff that you know can be traumatizing for kids. Like they stumble upon things very quickly, and um, you know, often parents don't know, often um, teachers don't know exactly what they're getting into, and so without a really um, kind of an open discussion around these things and really to, you know, not ignore the problem, um, but to really talk very explicitly about, you know, it's very likely kids will come across this or it's very likely kids will act this way online or be harassed in this way online. Um, so how do we actually take this up? Um, and, and, you know, what do kids absolutely need, need to know? Um, I think we're still under the impression that, you know, if we don't tell kids about this, they won't find it, but they're finding it, you know, they're, they're finding this stuff um, at an early age. And we just have to sort of, you know, be honest with ourselves and say, we need to support them in a big way. And we need to support parents. Like, I mean, this is really a community initiative when we think about technology. It's in every fabric of our life, it's ubiquitous. Um, and so, you know, we, we need to provide better supports for, for parents uh, in terms of what they might see online. Um, you know, there's lots of, there's many parents that are savvy, but I would say that the far, the vast majority are um, not, not quite clueless, but they, you know, they're, they, they don't really know exactly what's going on. Uh, they, they don't have the time to invest the time or, or feel that they don't have the time to invest the time. Um, but, you know, as kids grow up, you know, we're thinking about screen time and, uh, you know, spending too much time online. I, like I struggle with this myself. Um, with, with with my four kids, trying to keep them off devices and engaged in other ways, it, it's very difficult to do. Um, and, and so, you know, having some support in, in that way, I think, is really important. Um, but, but I think overall, I mean, the, the, the guide, the Digital Citizenship Guide, provides some general advice, and there is a continuum there as well. But, you know, that continuum is by the time it was written, it was outdated in some ways, right? You know, in terms of, you know, where we're at, how, how society shifts, what technologies are available. Um, you know, so, so I think we have to uh, not only do that contextually, so we need to, to know what our kids are getting into, what our kids need. And so, uh, you know, and, and I think Regina kids are different than Melville kids and Melville kids are different than, 
um, Duck Lake kids and Duck Lake kids are different than, you know, so you go through the province, they're very different, they have different needs. Um, culturally and socioeconomically, kids get into different types of uh, technologies. Um, so we have to, you know, think that, um, you know, not just devices, but they also get into different um, uh, social networking sites. For instance, we know that more affluent kids are much more into Instagram. Uh, you know, so if you look, you know, statistically, we have to understand um, where kids are at, and they act quite a bit differently as well, depending on uh, their socioeconomic status. And that's just a sort of a global phenomenon. So I, I guess I, I don't think we're adequately prepared. I don't think we're doing it well enough. But part of it, again, not putting blame on teachers. I think we just have to think more uh, uh, systemically about you know, how, what, what needs to change, what supports do we provide, um, and then keep this, uh, re really kind of keeping this, the, this, this continuum as a, uh, as a living document to mu much better understand what's going on and, and to provide the uh, appropriate supports to teachers and to parents. I know that um, some teachers kind of look at it as a box to tick because in Regina Catholic schools, the expectation is that you have to teach digital citizenship for some way. So at the beginning of the year, a lot of teachers will teach it um, as a unit. It's one and done, then we move on. But I think this needs to be like a more of a continuum, like you said, yeah. and it needs to be a continuous conversation um, as things arise and also as students gain experience and knowledge like you said what you teach the grade ones would be different than what you teach yeah. the grade fours obviously because and even from year um, to year yeah ex exactly and i think checking in and doing reminders throughout the school year um, once your students are let's say we have a grade four class and they're starting to do online searches for a report well, we need to then talk about fact or fiction right mm -hmm. that kind of thing and and being able to check our um, resources online and yeah. um, giving those reminders and doing those check-ins but I liked what you said about involving the parents in the conversation because a lot of times we focus it in the classroom but we're not involving our parents and I think a lot of parents are intimidated yeah. and that's why we see some pushback when you are using a lot of technology in the classroom um, just because they're uncomfortable with it. Um, so do you have any suggestions for how we can work with our parents um, to help them feel more comfortable? I mean, obviously there's the, um, you know, there's the sessions that you can have, but those information sessions, I, I find sometimes those scare parents more than anything. Like they, they come into them thinking like, I, I knew nothing going in and I knew way less coming out. And so they're, they're scared to deal with it. And, you know, so, so you have to be really thoughtful about it. So it has to really be a relationship. Um, you know, like thinking about what Dean does, uh, you know, with Minecraft Edu, for instance, and, and, and um, you know, integrating um, the technology into the things that kids are doing. I think that's really an important step. Um, you know, uh, like I think, you know, from that perspective, you know, taking something like Minecraft, understanding that parents know that their kids are playing it um you know the school knows that kids are playing it but the kid you know you can you can teach digital citizenship attributes through something like minecraft that's engaging with kids you can also help to teach that with you know with parents so you know creating some sort of um, a minecraft 
um, you know, event of some sort where, where, where parents aren't just learning um, information that scares them. They're actually spending some time with their kids and better understanding the environments that they live in. So, so I think, you know, some events that are actually much more um, relational and much more um, relevant that don't necessarily teach directly all the things that are going on, but they teach indirectly and they get parents involved with some of the technologies um, that, that kids are acquainted with. Um, and I've, I've witnessed in other districts where, you know, you know, uh, they'll set it up that, you know, the teachers aren't teaching parents this, but the, uh, the, the students are. So the students will work with teachers for some time and they say, you know, what do you want to teach your parents about the, the world that you live in? And then let's create um, a sort of an event of some sort where parents, where parents learn from their kids about what's going on in their lives and, and, and they become the teachers. And I think it's a really cool role. Had, you know, in any place where, where kids take on a role as instructors or, um, you know, something that they know intimately, they're much easier. And like, it's a matter of, you know, I, I'm horrible at Minecraft, but it's until my boy sits me down and actually shows me how to play that I'm not going to get that. I'm not going to get the appeal. I'm not going to get how to do it. Um, even the, you know, controlling stuff, I'm trying to um, you know, I'm, I'm walking around and I'm looking like to the left through the whole time because I can't figure out how to, um, you know, quite get the controls right. But, you know, I learned a lot. And then while we're doing that, we're talking about games and we're talking about all of these other things. And that's where I learned that, you know, that's most of my homework. And I get that parents don't have the time to do this or feel that they don't have the time to do this. But what a great you know, this is the new fishing, you know, like, you know, spending time at the lake and, you know, I'm not saying it should replace fishing, but it's it's one of those things that you can spend time with your kid um, talking about what's going on in their life. And that's the best way, you know, that we can use technology is to really engage together in those technologies. And it's not, obviously it's not limited to Minecraft. There's, you know, Instagram, TikTok, there's, there's lots of really cool tools that parents and families can work on together. Uh, and I think doing that either in the classroom or um, or having some or, or having something at home or some sort of pseudo event that happens between home and school, I think would be a great place to start. Awesome. I just, uh, in, I in the continuum. I love that continue, idea of like, it's almost like home-based show and tell. Yeah. Absolutely love that idea. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to add, in the, in the continuum, you refer to Dr. Ribble's work uh, quite a bit on his nine elements of digital citizenship. Is there something that stands out about his work uh, for you and why you used it? Well, I mean, Ribble's is, is de facto, you know, it's it's the one that's really easy to, to learn. And I think it, it, it captures most of the big um, ideas when it comes to digital citizenship. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's easy whenever you list a set of things, it's easy to check those off, as Jen says, which isn't always a, you know, a positive thing. You can spend a lot more time on, you know, the security issues or, um, you, know, uh, you know, you can go through each one of the, the elements and, and you can spend time on each one of those. The problem I have with digital citizenship as a definition in general is it really doesn't do well to describe what a citizen is. It really dilutes the idea of citizen. So if we think of the social studies or, or history, uh, mostly social studies um, curriculum, you know, we, we discuss citizen to be sort of an active, um, you know, someone that's active in the political and 
social processes of a community and, and so on. But we don't do a great job of really bringing that together. It's, it's much more, um, as I've said in the past, it's much more a cyber safety um, sort of manifestation, cyber safety evolution. Like basically they took, um, and this is not necessarily a fault of Ribble, but it's, 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 it's the fault of the sort of ed tech in general that we've taken something like don't go online uh, or, or don't talk to strangers and, and all of those don'ts that we put in. And then they said that let's evolve this, let's evolve this concept to something called digital citizenship. But that, again, they've diluted the idea of citizenship. And so, you know, it goes back to the idea that these, these tools don't live in a vacuum, that um, when we're using Instagram, um, you know, and, you know, we have our, you know, 15-year-olds engaging in Instagram conversations, they're talking about all sorts of things. They're talking about COVID. They're talking about, uh, you know, whatever's happening on with celebrities. They're talking about racism. They're talking about all these things. They're doing it in these in these uh, on these forums, but we're very scared to sort of get into those aspects. But they're doing citizenship, and and um, but we, we we see it only as online behavior, I guess, or you know what you post online, and we're not really sort of um, connecting those dots as well as we possibly can. Um, so that means like you know what does it mean to have a voice? What does it mean to um, you know, if, if you are a, a social advocate for certain people or for ideas, um, what, what does that mean when you say things online? How do you say things online? How do you carry on a good conversation? How do you avoid the trolls, um, you know, people coming after you? Um, how do you think about identity? Do you use your real identity? And so I know those things happen um, in sort of the objectives of, of, of you know, something like digital citizenship, but they're not really... In my in my opinion, they're not brought in together and integrated better in uh, in in the concept of citizenship itself. Um, it's mostly just sort of disparate points that are disconnected from the reality of our society, uh, disconnected from our social systems, um, and we're really focused so much more on on safety and etiquette, I guess. That's my that's my <laughs> thoughts on it anyway. Yeah, I don't think we're doing it wrong. It's just uh, we're not doing it well enough. Yeah. I have a quick question for you, Alec. I know, like you've taught at the university for a while, um, and obviously a you long teach. time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is kind of not related, uh, but sure. I'm just curious. Like, how much has has your year to year what you are, I guess, teaching let's say in your grad classes how like how much has that evolved and changed like, does, does every year change for you what you want to touch upon with the students that are coming in or just because technology we know changes like by the minute almost yeah. um has your teaching evolved like is it almost like a, a refresh or a brand new almost every year yeah well i mean i think um there, there's phases like, there's certainly like at least minor refreshes every year, but um, there's been, I, I would say, several phases. So when I first came to the university back in 99, um, you know, we're talking, you know, six years before YouTube started. Um, we're, we're talking pre-Google, um, you know, so this world is very different. So we're talking about Alta, Alta Vista, Lycos, Ask Jeeves, and 
We were just That's getting, into, you know, search engines from a very um, rudimentary, you know, it was just about finding information. And the internet was really just about finding stuff. Like if I wanted to see, you know, you know, the lyrics for Dave Matthew Band songs, I like, would just like you know, Google that or, or Alta Vista that and I could see it. And then I'd end up on someone's Alta, uh, uh, someone's like uh, GeoCities page and it would be devoted to Dave Matthews or whatever else. And so it was a very different web. Um, you know, it was before, you know, it was like high GIFs or GIFs or whatever you prefer. Um, you know, lots of under construction signs, like even that idea of under construction, of course the web's under construction. Why did we ever have to put up like, you know, signs to, to note that, you know, this page is under construction. Um, so it was a lot of that just very basic technical stuff. We, we, we focused on um, Hyper Studio, Hyper Stacks, um, you know, uh, web quests were a big thing back then. You know, so and I really I, I still love the the concept of WebQuest. Uh, Bernie Dodge was the person who created created it. And uh, as an aside, uh, he and I he's at San Diego State, and he and I you know uh, do level five Pokemon raids every once in a while when he invites me. So I, I thought it's just kind of a cool connection from someone uh, you know I, I his work I used a lot to you know now he's retired and and I'm playing Pokemon with him, but. Uh, but, but it was really, you know, we could build web pages. So we would, um, you know, we were using, I forget what even the tools were back then. I'm not sure if it was Publisher or Front Page, I think it was. There was something called Microsoft Front Page where you could create your own web pages. So it was a lot about just exploring those early days. Um, we, we talked a little bit about photos and talking to people online because there was IRC chat rooms and that sort of thing. But it wasn't as you know you know when you went off the computer you're off the internet whereas when you have a device in your pocket it's always with you so there was a big change there so at the beginning it was really you know how do you how do you go into school and how do you use that computer lab or how do you use that one computer that you have or how do you use those four computers in your lab because you know everyone schools got enlightened and they decided to create four computers in every classroom and create pods and that sort of thing so that was a you know a big thing before you know one-to-one -one computing and then I guess it's still around. So it was really rudimentary. Um, come you know 2004 2005 we have Friendster Facebook. Um, we have you know obviously uh, you know Twitter comes back comes out in 2006. So everything became a little bit more real then I think and people became um, like Web 2.0 launched everything into the social aspect. And for a while there, it was, you know, for that time, it was really about democratizing technology. We had Arab, Arab Spring, we had uh, a lot of social, um, you know, it felt like a really uh, kind of an amazing time. Like it was a time of promise where it seemed like people can really use these powerful tools to do amazing things and connect uh, and, you know, and connect and, and, you know, do great instructional things and, and develop PLNs and so on. And um, and that was a really an exciting time till about maybe 2010 or so, and but then you know social media companies started to catch up. We started to see the use of um, some of the psychology, you know, the, the the sinister social media tools. If you watch the the Netflix documentary, I forget what it's called. You can probably post it in links. Uh, you know, 
where basically they're, you know, manipulating us and controlling us. So mm -hmm. then that becomes a really big topic. So we start talking more about the, um, the, the screen time and we start talking more about uh, the addictions and how social media companies are manipulating us uh, and so on. And then we're talking a lot more about the vitriol, like a lot of the um, types of things that you will see online. We're talking about the dark web. Um, you know, we're also talking about, you know, sort of the promising things down the road, um, you know, web 3.0, we're talking about, uh, you know, sort of new technologies, we're talking about artificial intelligence. So it's just, it becomes so much more complex in the days of just basically creating, you know, essentially PowerPoint decks um, and, you know, integrating those into technology. So I, I think, you know, the focus was really on technology integration uh, at the very beginning. And now it's really about understanding how technology is already integrated into every fabric of our life and dealing with the social aspects of that. And then, of course, always doing the technology integration still, but technology, it's, it's after technology has become so intertwined with everything that we're doing in our lives that we have to really think differently about, uh, I've got a call here, um, about what that actually, <laughs> see, I, can't even, I don't even know how to turn this off. There we go. Um, there's a great example, right? My Apple Watch is dinging me in the middle of a Zoom in a, in a, or a Meets or a, a Teams call. Right, so like this didn't happen to me in 1995. I would maybe get a pager text or whatever that thing was, and or somebody um, picks up your phone and wrecks your right, internet like big satellite <laughs> phone or something. But it, it's weird. I didn't even have a phone for you know in the 90s at all. Like it, I didn't think of one. Like until I think I didn't get my first cell phone until like 2007 or something like that. Like it was I was quite late coming to the cell phone thing. Uh, I still kind of regret it in some ways. <laughs> I don't know. I want to give it back? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, so there's been a there's been a long transformation. I think we're we're still into ed tech integration, but it's also trying to understand this and how it affects us. But um, I guess it's just become much more multifaceted uh, and less of a uh, of a singular um, focus on tech integration. It's just really um, it's almost on um, de-integrating ourselves from technology and, and getting closer to understanding what this means. And the tools have become so much easier. We don't have to build web pages anymore for, you know, for our technology integration. We don't have to build the tools. The tools are just amazing and sophisticated. Something like Flipgrid, like if you really think about that, like that is incredible compared to IRC technologies like text only technologies where you can actually have everyone create a video and we're communicating like that. Like that's, you really think about it. That's incredible to, to think that we have access to tools like that. Every teacher has access to free tools like that. Awesome. Well, I appreciate yeah. the, the timeline. Um, Cause yeah, it's uh, I was just curious to see how like your thoughts on that. Cause I know you've been, You've been around for a while, so um, just to see how it's evolved and, and what yeah. So yeah, I definitely changed for sure. Yeah, for sure. I don't know, uh, Dean and Jen, is there anything else you guys want to add? I think it's fantastic. Yeah, feel free to cut that. Like, I feel like I've just gone on and on and on. So um, I appreciate the time to rant. <laughs> no, we appreciate uh, taking the time. We know how busy summer is and 
Um, everybody's got stuff going on, so we appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and talk with us. And I'm sure all the connected educators uh, within RCSD will appreciate it as well. So thank you so much, Alec. Thanks for having me. Take care. You've been listening to RCSD Pod PD. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments on this podcast. On Twitter, use the hashtags RCSD Connect and RCSD Pod PD, or jump into our RCSD Connect teams and leave a comment there in the community. Thanks for listening, and until next time, let's stay connected. <laughs>